Hey hikers, welcome to the Thruer Podcast, where we talk to new and experienced long distance or through hikers about their adventures on and off trail. I'm your host, Cheer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of the podcast. Happy New Year. It's 2022. We made it, guys. <laughs> and um, I don't know about you, but I have a ton of hiking to do this year. So I hope the same for you, even if it's just, you know, day hike here and there. Um, I definitely hope you guys are able to get out this year and get outside, enjoy nature and that sort of thing. I am still chasing the triple crown. So, um, of course I'll keep you updated on here, but for our very first episode of 2022, we have a special guest. We've had him on before, Ned Tibbetts, and he has come on to zoom with our community to talk about specific start dates. And in this case, um, we're talking about March start dates and the pros and cons of starting in March, which means approximately getting to the Sierra around May, which as you'll find out is something called the secret season. So like I said, these cover the pros and cons of starting in March. And we also have um, an episode coming up where Ned covers the safety and solutions of starting in March because there are, like he says, pros of starting in March and also cons. So um, we do also go over the safety and solutions of um, starting in March. And if you too would like to get in on the action of these Zoom calls, feel free to sign up. Um, you can start at our website. It's www.threwer.com and I'll leave the links, all the links that we talk about um, in the show notes. And you can go to our Through Meets page, our meetups page, and um, you can register for free. All of this is, for, is free for hikers. So um, if you guys want to get in on the April pros and cons, the April safety and solutions, we're going to be doing that um, coming up. Uh, at the end of January. And then we also have some events in February where we're gonna be going over May start dates and also southbound um, starts. So hope to see you there. And we also have a fun hiker happy hour coming up too that you can register for. And just before we get started, I. I should mention that um, it's really important to get all of the information you can before you start a long distance track. And so these talks with Ned are meant to give you um, information for you to make the right decision for you when the time comes. Um, so, you know, a decision to enter the Sierra at a certain time with certain snow conditions, that's entirely up to you. But the purposes of these meetups and us putting this on the podcast for you guys, and um, we're going to be putting up clips of this meetup and of these meetups on YouTube, the purposes of all of this is to give you as much information as possible for you to make the right decision for you at the time. And so with that, let's dive in to the pros and cons of starting in March along the Pacific Crest Trail. So I'm going to introduce Ned. Ned, I like to say Ned has wilderness in his blood. Um, he's been working in the wilderness for so many years. He has been a wilderness skills instructor, uh, wilderness EMT. He's worked for the U.S. Forest Service as a wilderness ranger. 
um, worked with the National Ski Patrol. So he has so much experience specifically in the Sierra with the snow. Um, and he is also through hike the PCT, the JMT many times and um, half of the CDT. And um, it's just such a treat to have Ned on. And I know, like I said before, I hiked the PCT and I could have really used all of this information that you're gonna hear um, before I started my trek. So um, I hope you guys enjoy. And with that, Ned, take it away. All right, very good. Everybody can hear me, I assume. Uh, maybe thumbs up or something like that. Very good, all right, I'm getting through. Um, I appreciate what Carol's doing. Uh, normally, you know, you've only got so many sources um, for reliable information. And when it comes down to uh, the dangers of something, I, I don't see a whole lot posted. People get all excited about certain things and they blow it out of the water. And you, then you question, well, was it real or not? Um, I have, as Carol said, I've been teaching in the Sierra on the John Muir Trail PCT above 10,000 feet for at least two months of every year in the last 40. Uh, I've seen a lot of drought winters. I've seen a lot of heavy winters. Um, I know what the Sierra can do because I've lived in it um, for those two months as well as uh, between January and May, we ran weekend trainings and week-long trainings in the Tahoe area, sometimes up in the Stevens Pass in Washington, sometimes uh, west of Bend in the Sisters, uh, you know, over the years. So I've got a pretty good handle of different types of snow, different kinds of conditions, what things look like in different months. And so when um, Carol and I, I think Carol and I were talking about this and it became apparent to me that you guys needed to realize that if you start in a particular month, you're gonna have different conditions than uh, the person who starts the next month or even two weeks different from you. Now, tonight, what I'm going to do is I'm gonna paint the picture of why starting in March is you know, good, uh, maybe it's bad. It depends upon you. So after I get done laying all of this out, and I'm going to try and cram it all in in an hour, because if you know me at all, uh, I have a, a, a sort of unstructured way of teaching. Um, but tonight, because there's so much information, I want to try and be as structured as possible. So with that in mind, I do have a list of things. Believe it or not, I have an outline. My God, that's a big step for me. But um, I'm going to try and stick to that. And so after the first hour, then we'll get into stuff, uh, maybe a little more free form. I'm going to try and kick it all out and then we can talk about it later. So Carol did say that uh, I've done a number of things uh, in my life to bring the subject matter to you guys, whether it was taking classes at UC Davis in, in biology and geology and atmospheric sciences and blah, 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 to, in order to uh, to, to, to be able to share it with you guys so you're better equipped. When you're better equipped, you're going to be more empowered to be able to protect yourself and yet be at peace so you can relax and enjoy where you're at. For me, at least, that's why I go into the mountains. I'm going there uh, not so much to escape something at, you know, at home or in society. I've got to get away, panic. I'm going for a bit of fresh air, a bit of free time. And in your case, it's going to be a five and a half month free time. <laughs> but anyway, so 
you need to know what you're going to be facing. And I hope to bring a lot of insight to what you're going to be facing, what I call the realities of the trail. So we may be uh, uh, talking a lot of snow, but I'll also be putting it in context to the sort of stuff that you're going to have to do in a day, in a morning, the kind of decisions you're going to need to make for that day or for the next two weeks while you're winging it on the trail because you just realized the conditions aren't what you expected. So you have to retool. So when we talk about the pros and cons and, I, and coming up, I'm going to address this from the point of view of uh, log logistical differences, strategic differences, and simply weather differences between the, the different months or even maybe two weeks apart in two week increments. What is gonna be different between starting March 1st and March 14th or March 14th and the 1st of April, for example? in those three areas, weather, logistics, strategy. Um, as Carol may have pointed out, the reason for doing this isn't just you know, to inform you guys, yeah, that's great, but it's to make you more aware of a safety concern. I'm not trying to be a fear monger. Those terms kind of get blown around a little bit. It's simply to open your eyes to what's really out there. I don't want you leaving Kennedy Meadows South and going up to Elantra in, in Cottonwood and being blown out of the water because you weren't prepared for what you're seeing. I want you to be prepared so you can realize, oh, no, maybe I do need to take uh, uh, hiking crampons in a whippet. Maybe I, maybe, maybe I don't after a drought winter. See, some of these things are gonna change depending upon the winter. So. It's all about trying to figure out when the best time to start. If you've already got your permit, you're kind of locked in. So if you uh, are also a, a John Muir Trail hiker, say you're not doing the PCT, but you're interested and you're attending tonight because you're gonna do the JMT this summer, or maybe you wanna do it in May, you've attending, you're attending the right time slot because the March start, uh, people who start the PCT in March are gonna enter this year in May. So if you're going to enter the year in May on the JMT, which of course is a subset of the PCT, um, keep listening. All right. So now you know why, why we're doing this, why we're going to, um, I, why I'm going to address certain points. Big picture. Southern California takes about four to six weeks to get to Kennedy Meadows. The Sierras takes about four weeks to get to Sonora Pass or roughly Tahoe. So now you're two and a half months in. Northern California takes about a month. Oregon takes about a month. Washington takes about a month. Depends upon how fast you go, obviously. So this is kind of targeted at uh, starting about mid-March and ending about mid-September. And of course, now you're going like, okay, that's six months or whatever the heck it is. It's too round of a figure. So, but anyway, you're in a good place for starting now because, and I know I'm a little biased, but I've been up there for too many years to steer you wrong. Even if I say, you've got to do it a certain way, I want you guys to think about it, consider it, ask around, make your own decisions, test it, go out there and find out if, God, was Ned blowing smoke or is that true? You have to decide if what I am saying sounds right for you. 
something that I like to say, does it work for you? This is your trip. This is your journey. And this trip is going to change your life. I know you've heard it. It's not hyperbole. You're going you're gonna to end a different person than you started. And a lot of that will have a bearing, will um, be caused by your preparation, how, how at peace you are, how ready you are for things, rather than just winging it. Now, some people can do that just fine. They're really great at winging it, multitasking and all that. But when you're two days away from the trailhead and the, the road to the trailhead is closed and you've got a 25 mile walk down 8,000 feet on asphalt, just because your shoes were the wrong kind to go into the Sierra, you're gonna be really in a bad way. So the more prepared you are, the more at peace you'll be, the more aware you'll be, and the safer you'll be. That worked out pretty good, so I'll stick with that. Okay, so the main variables to the pros and cons has to do with the time of season, which we're gonna address in the weather area. The intensity of the preceding winter, if the preceding winter is a drought winter, you're going to have different conditions you're going to be seeing out there. If it's a normal winter, well, what the hell is normal? You know, uh, I can get into that, but I'm not going to write at the moment. Or if it's a heavy winter, heavy winter, uh, statistically speaking, is anything over 500 inches of directly measured snowfall in the, at least the Tahoe area. Now, remember, and if you've been following some of the things that I've been writing just lately, 500 inches of total accumulation does not mean you're going to go outside and see 500 inches. You're going to see probably within the next 48 hours after that total is, is dumped, you're going to probably see about half that, depending upon air temperature, amounts of sunlight, amount of wind, humidity, etc. They all have a bearing on the snowpack. Why not? Let's get into that. Um, departing slightly, but very important. Remember, you're not walking on dirt. Okay, Ned, duh, got it. There's no traction. There's very little traction. You're walking on frozen water, snow, right? Frozen water. If it's in the powder form, it's very soft and fluffy and it doesn't hold your weight. But if it, once it settles and consolidates, goes from that 500 inches to maybe 300 inches, and refreezes at night. Now, these are very important points. It has to refreeze at night. Melt, which is to thaw, refreezes at night, solidifies, settles, becomes one big mass by the time you get there, May 1st. Depending upon what the weather does, watch your temperatures, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm getting at here is a snowpack is composed of layers. Every storm dumps so many feet, so many inches, whatever. Then the sun comes out, melts the surface, it refreezes at night because it's still winter. And then you've got like this crusty surface and a, and a powdery underlayer to a degree. And the more it can consolidate, the less powder, and the more that becomes one frozen unit, not like ice, it's just frozen snow. New snow falls on this crusty, icy layer, couple feet, and you, if it's flat, if, if it's falling on flat surface, you get a couple feet of powder on an old surface. Now, if you tilt that surface up at an angle, that new snow is going to want to slide down the ski run. 
So this is why it's so important that the snow be consolidated because then it doesn't go anywhere. Then you don't have to worry about avalanches and things. There are some things to worry about. And we'll talk about that a little bit tonight and how to solve that problem tomorrow. But I want to get it in your head that when you're walking on snow, you're walking on a whole bunch of different layers of, of uh, different thicknesses of snow with ice layers in there. And you could have um, a high wind event happen and it breaks branches off of trees nearby. So you've got tree branches in the snow, you've got boulders and rocks in the snow. Some tree could have blown over, maybe an avalanche happened and you got all kinds of stuff and debris in the, in the snow. So when you post hole in come June, your feet aren't just, your legs aren't just penetrating through soft snow. Your legs may be sliding alongside a granite boulder, uh, a fallen tree trunk, past all kinds of tree branches. So your legs get cut up or can get cut up. The point here now still being the snow pack, which is the whole thing, is comprised of layers. All right. So I want to tell you that this whole thing I'm going to present can be looked at from the point of view of the, it being a practical idea, a functional idea, and a realistic one. Now, practical to me is it means that it's easy. It's practical. It's easy to do. Okay, I'm going to start sometime in March. I'm going to do four to six weeks through Southern California. I'll get into the details of that in a minute. Pretty simple, swinging my feet on dry trail with the exception of some places in Southern California where the trail goes up in elevation. If it goes above six, 8,000 feet, you should anticipate snow, but you know, do your research beforehand, depending upon how much snow is hit. I happen to be right now in Southern California. How much snow is hit here? We had snow this December. Um, maybe it did melt off be between now and when you, when you get there. So you've got to kind of keep an eye on that stuff, even as you're hiking. Check your weather reports, talk to your friends, ask your family to, to research what's going on on Mount San Jacinto. How's uh, Mount Baldy doing? Uh, anybody uh, at, the, at the, um, the hardware store in Wrightwood, are they able to give you uh, advice on trail conditions? Other stuff like that, but do that while you're on the trail. It's functional, this idea that I'm gonna present because believe it or not, it works. Uh, it used to be that way back when, see, I did the PCT back in 1974. Um, uh, I didn't see another hiker. Oh, no, wait a minute. I did. I saw one other PCT through hiker the entire five and a half months I was out there. Um, I didn't really have a trail in Southern California or Northern California. And, and uh, yet I had a trail, a great one in Oregon and Washington. But what I'm getting at is that we used to think back then, well, I'll start anytime. I don't know any better. I don't know anybody who's done it. I haven't read a book by anybody who's done it until about 1970 when Eric Ryback published his book about hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, which was an idea at the time. It was an idea when I did it. Matter of fact, the National Forest didn't have a map of the trail. I'd ask them as a kid, I was 15 and 16 planning my hike and I asked them, where's the trail go? You've sent me your map. You know, those huge gigantic maps the Forest Service each have. And they, they couldn't tell me where it's going to go, except for they had read somewhere, maybe it's going to go by this peak and past that lake and whatever. So you had to map it out yourself. But over time, because I started in March and a lot of people did, initially it was accepted and then tossed out. And people thought, I don't want to walk on snow for months. 
if you start early, I'm going to walk on snow for months. They didn't realize that the snow turns to concrete, and that's why the, the Oregonians call it cascade cement. You know, it does, it gets very hard, and especially once people put a boot track in the snow and they pack it down and it refreezes and it gets hard. It's not hard to walk on, but it is hard to walk through when it starts melting. So it's an easy, it's an easy idea, start early. And it's functional, it works. People have been doing it for years. I think almost 50. <laughs> and it works, it's true, it's valid. I can give you lots of the names of people who have done it. But anyway, let's get into this thing. So the highlights of the pros and cons in general. If you start in March, it's gonna be cooler, it's gonna be wetter, and it could actually have uh, some rainstorms in Southern California, amazingly enough, it does rain down here. Um, and it might, uh, you might get a little snow. Now, chances are in March and April, Southern California is not gonna have a big dump. So if you get snow, it might be in the inches variety and probably less in the foot variety. It will consolidate quickly because usually in the spring, if you get a snow dump, the sun comes out right after. What happens? Warms the snow, it settles, and it refreezes at night, which is consolidation. Within a day or two after a big powder snowstorm, you should be able to get out and walk on the surface and not sink in. If you heard what I just said, if you get caught in a powder storm that dumps a foot or more, you might be waiting a day before trying to kick through it. If you wait a day, it can consolidate and then you can walk on top of it. It's a hell of a lot easier and it consumes less energy than trying to wallow through it. And you, you, you don't get the wet and cold that you would if you were wallowing through it. If you start early, you'll have more time to get to Canada before first snow. Now, first snows is an expression, but it's very valid. Anytime after the middle of September, and certainly by October 1st, over the history that I've been watching it, which is almost 50 years, and attested to by the Rangers in Manning Provincial Park, you better get the heck off the trail by mid-September because when the storms come in, in the North uh, Pacific Northwest, North Cascades, they usually do so with a vengeance. You'll have a little forewarning. Uh, it's gonna get a lot colder a couple weeks before it starts snowing. Uh, humidity is gonna go up. Remember, you're right next to a big ocean. So the snow is wetter than say in Colorado. What does that have a bearing upon? If it starts dumping on you in Northern Washington, it might be exceedingly wet and cold more so than if you were trying to kick through the snow in Colorado. Colorado will be cold, but it won't be as wet. Um, we'll get into shoes and footwear and gaiters and clothing and all that stuff later. But let me just, I'll, I'll continue on here. I'm, I'm tempted, I bring that up because I'm tempted to get into some of that stuff, but um, best if I don't. So you'll have more time to do more things. Most PCT through hikers, it's all about the miles. It's all about the weight. It's all about go, go, go. And not all of us are out there for that reason. So if you start earlier, it was all, always you know, kind of poo-poo because, oh my God, you're gonna have to deal with wet and cold, Southern California, some snow, it's gonna be miserable, you're gonna have mud, yeah, you know, maybe down here the, the resupply locations aren't closed, but once you get further north, and I'll be talking about that, 
you might have that uh, as a problem. But if you want to, as I've, I, I, I teach on the trail, or I used to teach on the trail, right? Right now I'm working for Homeland Security, uh, FEMA, doing disaster recovery work, helping cities and counties and states get grant monies to rebuild. So that's what I do right at the moment of the last four years. But I've been out there long enough to see plenty of PCT through hikers blow by me in the vicinity of Mount Whitney and Forrester. And all they're thinking about is the next hamburger, the next pizza, the next uh, town visit. And they're not really enjoying themselves. And I'll, I'll hang out with some of them and they'll go like, oh my God, I got to find a different group to go with because these guys are just go, 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 going too fast. And I'm not out here for that. I want to enjoy myself. I want to, you know, later in the summer, for example, people do other things like they go fishing, they go swimming, they climb trees, they, they explore a meadow, uh, they maybe go up a peak. Take time to do that. This is your one shot. A lot of through hikers do the whole darn thing. And then they'll tell you, oh man, I like that area so so not so much. I want to go back. Now, yeah, you can do that even if you're going 15, 17 miles a day, sure. But if you're cranking out your 20s and 30s and more, you're not really going to be able to see as much and do as much other than hiking. So you decide. Hopefully you have by now. Am I the kind, am I out here to hike or am I out here to, to enjoy myself? Maybe be more of a camper, maybe have breakfast in bed and dinner in bed and watch the sun go down. You could do that on 17 miles a day, which was my average, you know, but to each their own. So you decide what you want to do. Do I want to get up before the sunrise every day, walk all day, maybe not take my pack off? Hard for me to imagine. And then walk into the dark after sunset and put your tent up in the dark on God knows what number of pine cones and branches and things. And maybe, yeah, you got a headlight and so forth, but I'm exaggerating. But anyway, you know why you're out there. So if you start early, you've got more time, you can go slow. There's fewer bugs. There's fewer bears. There's less dirt to get all over you. There's fewer people. There's fewer rangers. There's less chance of wildfires. Go early. You have less chance of avalanches. And the main highlight of the discussion for your group, for the starts, starters of March, is are you gonna be able to utilize the advantages of the secret season in the Sierra? The secret season is May 1st to June 1st, where you have very little snowfall, very few avalanches, consolidated snow to walk on. It's like a big sidewalk. Yeah, it might be tilted in some places and steep and awkward. And but the creeks are frozen over. See, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So there are advantages of this month time period. And we'll get into that. It does require a little more training. You do have to be a little bit more aware of the hazards out there. Thus, this discussion tonight. You do have to bring a little bit more food, especially in the snow, because you don't know if you're going to have a snow dump hit you. And you might have to spend a day or two or three in your tent. Um, certainly it's colder, so you're going to have to think about more clothing, more gear, maybe a little more preparation, that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's not that hard, and that's why we're talking about what we're talking about. So that is sort of the lead-in to what we're going to what can I cover now. The pros, the advantages of starting in March. This is the subsection of weather. I'm kind of going to go through it like I'm reading it, but I'm not going to bore you or do like a... Uh, 
PowerPoint presentation. I'm just not about that. So I'll try not to get on tangents, but I got to get it out there and then we can dive back in later. So as far as weather, your advantages are it's cooler, maybe a little wetter, but it's a hell of a lot better than baking in 110 degrees or more sun, which would be your uh, late April, May starts from Campo. You're starting now in March, so it's a lot more hospitable, cooler, maybe a little rain, not bad. Your canteens may still freeze. Think about that. Your water filters may freeze and break overnight, even down here. So pay attention to what the overnight temperatures are doing so that stuff doesn't happen to you. So less hot sun, better temperatures. Um, let's see, you'll have more water. The creeks are going to be a little bit higher. Now, the creeks down here usually aren't all that big, but it's nice to be able to have a, a greater frequency of natural water and rely less upon the kindness of other people who, who drive water out to water caches along the trail. Try not to depend on them. You never know who's going to need them. And if you don't necessarily need to be carrying, uh, getting water from a catch, don't. But by starting early, you also don't have to carry as much because it's cooler. You're not sweating as much, etc. Once you get to the Sierra, the nice thing in May is you have less of a chance of fresh snowfall. You don't really want to be dealing with powder snow because you can't, it won't support your weight. So you're going to be going through it rather than walking on it. So that's a really good thing. You get up there in May, it's consolidated, it's killer. It's like a big sidewalk, like I said. Further on north, where wildfires have always been a problem. You start early, you'll be going through Tahoe in around June 1st. Yeah, you can get into a wildfire, especially if you've had a drought winter. And if this one turns into another drought winter, winter which I doubt, um, yeah, you probably could, but you'll, they'll be less likely. So you're gonna have better air conditions, better visibility by getting through these areas early. Also, Northern California is very well known for very hot temperatures. Hat Creek Rim, very exposed, very hot. Um, if you get up there, you'll be up there, but if you're starting in March, you'll be up there in um, June, middle of June, latter, yeah, about middle of June. Um, you're gonna find that you're still gonna have, if this is a normal to a heavy winter, even in the middle of June in Northern California, you may have snow on the ridges and on the Northern aspects of them. Northern aspects, meaning what aspect of the hill points to the North. So those aspects of those slopes that face to the North are in the shade. They may hold their snow longer. This is true in the Sierra. This is true everywhere. If you're looking at Forester Pass from the South and you go, oh my God, there's no snow, How fantastic. You get at the top and you're on top of four or five feet of snow. That's normal. So by starting early, you've got a really good weather window. Chance of snow in the Sierra, chance of snow in Southern California, cooler weather in Northern California, Oregon in July, Washington in August, depending upon your speed, those are all good months to be there. Logistics, once again, we're in the pros, advantages of doing the, starting the PCT in March. Logistically, we've already nailed this one, you can go slower. You can also utilize that consolidated snow for a little boot skiing, a little boot skating. You will learn how to go downhill on the balls of your feet. Now, 
not the heels of your feet, but the balls of your feet. As you rock forward on the balls of your feet, you lift your heel off of the snow and your feet turn into skis. Yes, you can quite easily parallel ski if you're good at it. You can edge with your shoes if you've got a little bit of edge and you break by rocking back onto your heels and using the vertical face of your heel. It's very important. Mono soles that are one piece don't have vertically faced heels. Those are your brakes. Those are the bulldozer blade that you're going to be needing to suddenly stop if you see a boulder coming up real quick and, or you, you know, you need to stop real quick. I'll get into all those techniques uh, at another meeting. But anyway, you can go slower. You can utilize the snow for glissading, boot skiing, boot skating. Glissading is killer. You can drop several thousand feet off of Forrester a couple minutes, maybe a minute and a half. It's a whole nother experience. If you like roller coasters, you're going to be having a ball going down these things. And off of Forrester, if you know where they are, there's five different glissades to where you get to the bottom. And each one is hundreds of yards long. And they're wonderful, glorious, incredible. Logistically, yeah, you're going to need a little more gear. Sorry to say it, but you're going to need some specialized stuff and realize that because you happen to have an ice axe and maybe uh, um, ice axe and micro spikes, it does not mean you're safe. Gear, having the right gear does not necessarily mean that you're gonna be safe. Knowing what to do it with it helps, but just carrying it, like you're gonna see a lot of uh, hikers with the ice axe on the back of their pack. And I watch them go up Forrester, they're not part of my class, so they go right on by. I'm teaching people how to do it safely. And they blow on by. They think it's just fine. And next thing I know, I see the guy tumbling down the hill with his ice axe on the back of his pack. What good did it do? He didn't identify the risk going into the slope to stop, get a plan, take the ice axe off, utilize it on the traverses, because it's nothing but switchbacks going on up. And it really doesn't matter much if you're going up or down. You need to have a self-arrest device in hand for it to do you any good. Therefore, a self-arrest pole is always in your hand. I don't know when I'm going to go down. I, I haven't fallen in, in a long time except for demonstrating. But you never really know. A slip is a slip. A post hole suddenly, unexpectedly, can throw your head downhill on a traverse, you lose your balance, and that's all it takes. It takes something unforeseen. So you try and anticipate that. So more gear, more clothing, we hit on that, more food. Another advantage of logistically is that if you do start without the right stuff, you got a little more time to step off trail and get the right stuff, or to kill some time in some place, like you get to Kennedy Meadows South, and say Yogi doesn't have something in her store, so you've got to hitch to Lone Pine and get it quickly. Burns time, burns money, uh, but you'll have time. And that's an advantage. Also, we're, we're looking at if you're starting around March 1st, I don't want you guys to be hitting the Sierra till May 1st. Due to those avalanche conditions and the, uh, and the, um, um, the dominance of more powder in April. Remember, the ski areas don't close until Easter which is what, the latter part of April? 
So they themselves deem, hey, you know, there's less interest. People uh, aren't that interested in skiing. Yeah, we got some good snow, but it's starting to consolidate. People love powder skiing. They're not that interested. Now they're thinking about water skiing. So um, when the ski area starts shutting down, then you know, hey, might be getting close to the time when I can safely get in the Sierra and not have to worry about powder snow, uh, avalanches, cornices dropping, I'll get into all this junk, but it's easier to, to both, um, uh, to, to move around on the snow. Now, third section on the pros is strategy. What is the advantage strategically for starting early? When it comes to the Sierra, we've already talked a lot and a little bit in Southern California, but because of the secret season window, because of the fact that you want to be on consolidated, settled, glued down frozen tight snow that's a strategic advantage you're not going to get it once the thaw starts so let's talk about that too you're not going to have you may have a bit of a thaw down here in southern california because we get we get all kinds of different high desert winds that create warmer uh, warmer currents that that affect the snow if the snow starts thawing out down here doesn't mean it's thawing in in the sierra because of that. This is high desert realm, really. Sort of like um, off the east side of the Sierra, you've got Reno and Vegas out there in Nevada, high desert, lots of heat rising. On the west side of the Sierra, you've got the San Joaquin Valley, huge gigantic valley with lots of heat being created that's rising up the, the peaks uh, on both sides of the Sierra, creating all those clouds and things that you're gonna see. So you've got issues with topography and uh, heat generating um, uh, uh, places like high deserts that will affect the type of snow that you're going to encounter. If you're uh, hiking through Southern California in March and April, and you hear on the radio or from somebody ahead uh, that uh, the thaw has already started, the creeks are already rising. I mean, you could have that if we have a drought winter. So that when you get there May, May 1st, it's going to look like July. And that's what happens after a series of drought winters. I don't want to get too far ahead on that. Another advantage of the secret season is that the creeks are frozen over. The thaw hasn't started. So you have bridges over everything. You don't see the creeks. You don't hear the creeks because there's no big water flow to make any noise. Whereas come the thaw, you'll hear a creek roaring below you a mile and a half away and down uh, at least 1500 feet. And it's just roaring. And you're thinking, oh my God, it's gonna be nothing but whitewater torrent, like something out of Lord of the Rings, you know? And, and, and when you get down there, it is pretty impressive, but you're not gonna have that. You go in in May, it's all frozen sidewalk. You don't even have sun cups. Sun cups are these little depressions that turn into, into, into uh, sunken garbage cans over, over time in the thaw. And it's a big honeycomb pattern on the snow. So it's a bear to try and walk through these fields of sun cups where a slight slip and you're down the bottom of the hole. Now, earlier in the season, the holes aren't so deep, but they will get there. You don't really wanna be in the Sierra during the thaw. Nasty creeks, soft snow, sun cups that'll, that'll, that'll you'll slide into. And yes, you can post hole in the bottom of the sun cup if you're out in the afternoon uh, after the thaw starts. When does the thaw start? You guys gotta get this down. Start looking for the thaw to start around um, June 1st. 
Now it's not cast in cement. So what you need to be doing is, is monitoring how cold it gets at night. Have some low reading recording thermometer or get up in the middle of the night and look at your little thermometer, your hang tag zipper thing and just see how cold it's getting. If it's beginning to get anywhere near 32, if it's getting up into the 28s, 29s, 30s over the course of your approach week, say from Kennedy Meadows South up to Cottonwood, Chicken Spring Lake, and it's getting close to 30, 31, you better hurry. It's only gonna stay below freezing uh, for five days, seven days, then it's gonna hit 32, 33, 34. And once it stops refreezing at night, the snow um, can't hold your body weight. And so you get up in the morning and you think you can start at seven or eight, because you've been chilling and enjoying the hard, the hard surface of the, of the secret season. And now it's already an inch or two of soft snow on the surface. And then after an hour, it's uh, overtopping your shoe. And after two hours, you're already postaling to mid shin. That's how fast it goes. And by 10 in the morning, you can't go any further. And after a heavy winter where you've got five, six miles of approach, and then you got seven, eight miles of descent off the backside, you're going to be on snow all day. So if you're out there and during the thaw, you're going to be wallowing after a heavy winter, after a light winter, no. Okay, anyway, so these are the advantages that will help you with your strategy. You're starting early, very good strategic point. Navigation-wise over snow, one of the beauties of the Sierra is you're largely above timberline. You're above 10,000 feet. Yeah, you dip down into the creeks and and all that, I'll get into that in a minute. But your navigation is line of sight, beelining. You stand on top of one pass and you look for the next pass and you can see it. And you can see the creek in between where you've got to drop down below tree line and figure out where the hell to go. Because when you're down in the trees, you can't see the next pass. But this is so easy. It's easy to navigate when you can look at the whole thing for a two days walk, you can see in the future. And that's really easy. Also, when you're below tree line, you're not necessarily in dense forest like on the AT or something. You know, there's really no long green tunnel in the Sierra. Uh, maybe a little in Oregon. <laughs> maybe a little in Washington. But in the Sierra, over snow navigation is really simple. You've got to learn how to read a topo map, and we'll get into that later. So strategically, it's a great time to be there. Another thing about... Uh, uh, being in the Sierra on snows, you can camp anywhere. I don't care if the snow is sloped. When you get to a place like you want to have a beautiful sunset dinner and the ground is, the snow is a little slope, you pound it flat with your feet and pitch your tent right there. It works perfect. If you don't have any water nearby, melt the snow, carry extra fuel for that. Or you planned this in advance. Hey, I want to camp on the pass. Why not? Oh, there's no water there in the summer. You're not there in the summer. Melt the snow. You can do so much more stuff on snow besides glissading and skiing on your boots and, and, and being able to camp anywhere and not deal with creeks and all that stuff. It's really great. We've already talked about the strategy of getting to Canada before first snows. It wasn't too many years ago that uh, we lost a couple, we lost one PCT through hiker and we had about 20 trapped by up to 12 feet of snow that descended on them in uh, it was late September, it was right around September 25th, if I remember. Please get 
to Canada before first snows. Anytime after mid-September, it can start dumping. Wildfires we talked about as far as a strategy, if you start early, you, you don't have to deal with them. Pests we talked about already. Oh, and, and to chime in, not only will there be fewer snakes because it's still cold in Southern California, there'll be fewer bugs and scorpions and things running around the ground because it's cold, but also you're gonna have fewer marmots and squirrels because it's not the big bears that are gonna be your pain later. It's gonna be the little bears. It's gonna be the squirrels. It's gonna be the marmots. They're gonna come up and chew on your boots just to get the salt while you stand still because they just came out of hibernation and they're looking for salt. And I literally had this happen to me while I was on camera talking about something up in the high Sierra and the marmot came from behind me and started chewing on my shoes and the camera people thought it was hilarious. Scared the hell out of me. I didn't know what was going on. Medically, strategically, medically, early start is wonderful. You've technically got till May 1st to get to the snow. So you've got lots of time to start at five, eight, 10 miles a day. Listen to your tendons, muscles, joints, everything. They're gonna, there's no way to prepare for through hiking or backpacking, except for by backpacking itself. It uses specific muscle groups. You're not gonna get bicycling, swimming, jogging, et cetera. A little bit running stairs up and down because of the trauma involved and some of the muscle groups used, but a slow start, having lots of time in the beginning. California is rolling to a degree. Very good for your, your physical, getting your body up to speed. You also have less fears of hyperthermia, getting too hot. We had people uh, die down here in Southern California between Campo and Lake Morena. What a day one, first 20 miles. They got too hot and died. This stuff happens. It's not a joke and you'll have less fear of dehydration by starting early when it's cooler and wetter. Okay, that's it for the pros, the advantages. Let's look at some of the, the disadvantages or the cons. Once again, back into weather. Well, what, what may be great for me because I like it cold, you may not like the cold. So it's suddenly now cold or wetter is a disadvantage. Snowier, you may go, hell no. I don't wanna start early, I don't like snow, for example, there's a great website out there. Statistically, the guy that put it together is a great researcher, all about planning, PCT, JMT, uh, Postholer. Now, now Postholer is the owner is not, he doesn't like snow. And one time I asked him, you know, you're so anti uh, uh, going into the Sierra early. Why is that? He says, I hate snow. I wouldn't encourage anybody to do it. And see, that's his point of view. And he has that right. And that's great. So to one person's joy, I love snow. Maybe to another person, hell no, I'm not doing that. So I'm not gonna start early. I'd rather go fast after starting late. Remember, you've got one bookend to this little jaunt you're about to do, and that's powder snow at the end. It can pin you down, it can freeze you to death. It can make you lost in a minute. You do not, you're not able to see the snow, not snow. You're not able to see the trail. You're not able to see trail signs. Everything gets covered. So it's an issue. You've got to get to Canada before first snow. So therefore starting late means fewer days to hike, means you gotta go faster, fewer days off, less fun, 
got to start from before the sun comes up to after the sun goes down. Now, to me, once again, you're getting the drift. That's a bias. I don't like that. I'd rather have breakfast in bed and dinner in bed. I'd I like to camp. So people in my day, you were either a hiker or a camper. I just happen to be a camper. You know, I'm out there for that. If you start early, you'll be out there before the trail crews get out there. So you're going to have to deal with more blowdowns. Blowdowns are when trees blow over the trail. So you're going to have issues of scrambling around obstacles that maybe later in the season uh, wouldn't be there. So that would be a con. There's less trail maintenance at that time of year for hikers on the trail that time of year. In Southern California, you might have an issue with flash, flash flooding. It does happen down here. So pay attention to the weather. You're going to be in arroyos and, and drainages that are completely dry. But if it's raining five miles away, cats and dogs, and you see thunder and lightning, and you hear thunder and see lightning and black clouds way over there, don't think, I'm fine over here. Because you may not be. Know where your creeks start. And if there's a storm up by the start, get out of the creek, go to high ground before it turns into a flash flood. They do happen, especially in the right in the whitewater area. Seems to me around Highway 10, Palm Springs, they had a big uh, flash flood event there a few years back. And obviously, a, a, a disadvantage of starting early is deeper snow. However, See, this is the thing again. I'm just going to keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. I don't care how deep the snow is. If it's consolidated, you walk on top of it anyway. So it doesn't matter. Oh, my God, they had this huge winter. 500, 800 inches of snow. I'm never going to be able to hike the trail. Baloney. Once it consolidates, you're perfectly fine. The more snow, the better, because all the creeks are buried. All the obstacles are buried. It's really great. But anyway, I digress. I'm supposed to be on the disadvantage. Okay, so that's the weather disadvantages. Logistically, resupply is probably a problem. It, it depends on how you want to address this. A lot of the resupply locations that you would normally do if you were there after Memorial Day, now I'm talking the Sierra, a lot of the trailheads, the access roads to, this, to those trailheads do not open until the, uh, the fishermen start screaming because on Memorial Day, they want to get out there on the trailheads and start fishing. And so the highway departments get those roads open, like the one to Horseshoe Meadows, which feeds uh, Mulkey Pass, Trail Pass, Cottonwood Pass, Cottonwood Lakes, Army Pass, New Army Pass. Major, you know, uh, major access points for people who want to get into the Sierra, Southern Sierra early in the season. So what you may have to do is what I had to do, what all of us had to do when, before we knew any different. You're going to have to walk out further. Okay, well, where? Well, Horseshoe Meadows is great, but you've got that horrible asphalt descent. Can I make it over Forester? Uh -huh. Also, don't go over Trail Crest. That is not an option. It is too steep. Too many people die there every year. Don't do that. So it's Horseshoe Meadows. Uh, it's, it's Cottonwood Pass to Horseshoe Meadows. Kearsarge Pass. Bishop Pass. Mono Pass. Mammoth Pass. Tioga Pass and then Sonora. Those are the easy outs. They may be longer. They may only be about 10 days apart. Yeah, you got to carry more food. This is an entirely different experience for you guys. This is not summer backpacking. I got to underscore that and make it, say it with the loud voice. You are a stranger in a strange land. Everything about you is going to be different. It's colder, you're on frozen water, it's slippery, it's tilted in every 
direction. The trail is not flat side to side. It's going to be inclined because snow fills the trail bed. Unless people are in front of you to pack it down and make a boot track, which is flat side to side, you're going to be walking on slopes that have an angle, which makes it kind of kind of rough, kind of rough until unless you're prepared for it. And I got a little bit off track there. Um, you can resupply out the west side. I did, I uh, went over Forrester and I went west down Bubs Creek to the end of the highway or end of the road at uh, Rhodes End, Cedar Grove, Kings Canyon National Park. It works just fine. Instead of going east, you can go west. There's more uh, stores to the east, but you're gonna also be coming back in that 4,000 foot elevation gain with a full pack. Maybe not so much on the west side. Logistically, yeah, then we touched on it a minute ago, you're going to have to carry more food. The, the, local, the distances between resupplies are going to be further apart. I don't know if you think VVR is open or Mule Trail, Mule Trail Ranch is open when you guys are going to go through in May. They don't have their high season. It doesn't start uh, that early. So you're going to carry maybe 10 days of food. You're going to be going. Here's another underlying loud voice thing. Walking on snow is not where you want to be doing anything fast. It's like driving on snow. You don't want to do anything quickly, no sudden movements, no, no uh, high speeds, anything, because you're on frozen water. It's like walking on an ice arena. It's not ice, but it's slippery as ice. So one mile an hour on snow, get that into your heads. Once you hit dry trail, you've gone over the pass, you've gone down the backside, you finally got to dry trail, hallelujah. Yeah, there may be a creek running down the trail and it's, it's, a, it's a splash fest but you can go a little faster. Do your mileage on dry trail and not on the snow. If you push on the snow, you're gonna slip, you know, or at least increase your chances of slipping. I know I got three minutes, Carol, so I'm watching. Um, so anyway, go slow. If you in May have eight hours of sunlight, you're looking at eight miles a day. I would discourage you starting really early because one, your headlamps don't show you, uh, don't beam far enough out for you to be able to navigate to a distance. Remember, you're not following a trail. You're following topography. Matter of fact, the trail is really a bad place to be if it shows on the summer map as having switchbacks, which means it's, well, the worst one is going downhill. It's gonna be steep as hell going downhill. And unless you have the right shoes that edge and have vertically faced heels again, which are suitable for steep descents straight down the fall line, you don't wanna be there. You're not gonna be able to edge in and traverse across anything steep. So you're gonna look at that on the map or you're gonna stand on the rim of this descent into a creek because that's the first thing like going into Rock Creek right after Chicken Spring and Cottonwood, um, a Cottonwood Pass. You're gonna look at that descent and go, holy crap, how am I gonna do this? And you're going to take a first step onto a, a, a traverse on frozen snow and your trail runners simply will not grab. They smear and they turn into skis and you will fall down. First, you're going to feel them slip. You're not going to have any traction. So you're going to back off, hopefully, without falling. And you're going to have to rethink. I need to find, is what you're going to say, I need to find a route that goes down the same slope, but in, a, in another location where it's not so steep. So therefore, you've got to have a map that shows you those kind of details. The strip map on your phone may not help you navigate by showing you where the safe route. You're looking for ramps. You're not looking for Hail Mary descents. 
you're looking for safe routes that are gradually sloped up or down. I went a little further on that one than I wanted to, but that should give you an idea um, that you've really got to um, know your route, your routing, whether you're going out for food or, or you've got to carry more days, you've, you've run into the fact that there's, there's some nasty descents. Maybe you actually fell and you hit a tree and now you're hurt. You know, am I going to be able to walk out? Look at the stuff that, that you just came in on. Are you going to be able to go back out there? Um, gear helps hiking crampons versus micro spikes. I, I can't talk about gear on this venue tonight. Uh, tomorrow we will, because solving these problems is what tomorrow morning is all about. You will probably be in the Sierra before there's a boot track established. Oh, when you go, oh, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, I know I've got 10 guys ahead of me, they, they, they'll be fine. Well, between when they went through and when you got there, a snowstorm happened. Now that nice little boot track has once again gone from flat to now sloped. Doesn't work for you, it's not safe for you. So you can't rely upon other people setting a boot track for the month of May. Now later, after the thaw, when everybody's in there, yeah, there's probably going to be a great boot track. And maybe later on in May, there'll be a great boot track. But uh, don't count on it. And also, I know we're going over at 701. Also, guys, if you see footprints in the snow, don't assume they know where they're going because they probably don't. You have to be able to find out where you are by your navigation systems, GPS unit with a screen that shows you where you are relative to the trail, because the trail is on the screen and you're on the screen. And it says, oh, the trail is uphill or downhill from me or whatever. It tells you where you are relative to, you can't get that with a paper map. You may be able to get that on your phone. Oh, but Ned, I can, I can Bluetooth from my inReach to my phone. Great, but where's your phone? Your phone is, is highly susceptible to cold. As a ski patroller, if I put my phone in my outside pocket and went down the hill, it'd be dead in a minute because of the cold rush of air hitting it, even though it's inside a waterproof jacket. Oh, so, okay, I'm gonna stick my phone inside all my insulation layers, which is underneath my waterproof shell, right? Okay, great, great. But every time I wanna look at my phone to look at my map, I have to unzip, open up, I didn't tell you this. When you go in the Sierra in May, your ambient temperatures will be anywhere from below zero at night uh, to uh, walking temperatures of say during the day of uh, anywhere from 28 maybe to 38 before the thaw. Therefore, you're gonna be fairly covered up. Once you get going, yes, you will generate heat and you can layer off, but fragile electronics need to be behind a, behind a firewall kind of insulation. And every time you need to look at it, which I do, I look at it constantly. I've got a paper map in my outside pocket and I got my GPS on my hip. My GPS is designed for cold. It's designed for snow flying. And so I, I, I don't have a problem with it out in the weather, but your phone isn't. Oh God, Ned, I put a, I put a, a case, it's in a case. Well, I mean, is it insulated? 
You know, I got a case on mine, it still froze. It was dead by the time I got to the bottom of the ski run. But anyway, you don't want to unzip and expose your core to cold. So sticking your phone on the inside isn't a functional, practical solution. We'll get into this junk tomorrow. But um, these are some of the things you've got to really think about. So logistically, going early, it's a bit of a bear because you got to carry more gear, you got to carry more food, getting to resupplies isn't so easy. You've got to have a little more training. Uh, it, it, matter of fact, even for your schedule, it may not have worked with work or school or that kind of thing. So for some people, maybe got a family, some people that going early just isn't going to happen. Now for you guys, going into the Sierra in May, going, uh, leaving Campo in March, worked for you, great. I think all the better for you because I think it's really great. Also, a little bit of public transit you might have a problem with. If you're relying on public transit to and from certain trailheads, uh, getting up and down Owens Valley, the schedules might be a little leaner. You may not be able to go as many places uh, when you're there or that early in the season. Strategically and finally, the, the disadvantage, obviously you've got more snow to walk on. Yes, it's consolidated and easy, but you've got more miles. So what you've got to do is get it in your head. I'm going to do one, two miles an hour, like up in Washington. You can still do your, your 24s or 25s, 30s. I was. You know, I had snow above uh, a certain elevation. So even in August, I was still on snow. In July in Oregon, I was still on snow. It wasn't 100% of the day, like it may be in the Sierra for you guys. But you'll be able to get your traction, therefore more miles whenever you're below snow line. And there will be more of that in July and August in Oregon and Washington, obviously Northern California, because once you go over Donner, and I'm talking kind of planning or um, solving the problem again, once you go over Donner, the trail is going to drop in elevation. Once it does, you're going to have less snow. The problem for you guys is going to be that you also got more trees. Falling on steep snow in trees means you're going to hit the tree. The trees usually win, I hate to tell you. So you don't really want to be horsing around on steep snow with trees nearby or cliffs or boulders or lakes or streams, that kind of stuff. Uh, strategically, yeah, you're going to have more snow to walk on. You're going to have some more mud and stuff in Oregon. Um, a lot of times, the whole thing is too early for a lot of people's personal skills. We talked about it with the logistics. You've got to get a little more training. Strategically, you go, I can't, I can't get training on snow. I live in Minnesota, and it's all flat around here. I'm from Florida. You know, where am I going to get snow training? It's not going to happen for me. So strategically, going early isn't a good thing. And some would argue your risk index is greater. I would probably say yes, there are greater risks in starting earlier, but they can be mitigated by knowing what you're up against, arming yourself with knowledge and experience, practice, training, some, get some skills under your belt, and you can mitigate your first snow, which is probably going to be uh, from Paradise Valley Cafe on up San Jacinto along um, the Desert Divide going past Apache Creek where a PCT through hiker died last year, I think it was. You can mitigate that with the right gear and, 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 and wisdom and knowing how to identify risk ahead. No hurries. Anyway, so closing principles. I'm just going to blow through these and then we can get into like 20 minutes of, of, of yapping. Um, it can freeze at night in the high desert. 
So you may have to do really cold, a lot of cold here in the high desert in March. There can be feet of snow in the mountains of Southern California. Obviously the Sierra. You are ahead of the herd by starting in March. So you're gonna have fewer other hikers to rely upon, uh, fewer resupply options available, and maybe even fewer trail angels. So this is starting early is gonna try your ability to uh, have your shit together, really. Um, starting early does not automatically mean that you're gonna have deep snow. So you do need to pay attention to what the weather is doing. We've had a great start to this winter, doesn't mean it's gonna continue. Um, you've got the advantage of, of consolidated snow. Hey, heads up, you don't need snowshoes if it's consolidated. I've tried several times. I've done the, the entire Sierra on snowshoes, skis, pulled a sled. The number of times I've used snowshoes, I can count on one hand. I've seen snowshoes pitched off the trail by other PCT hikers who brought them and found out they were too heavy to be carrying and never used, so they chucked them. Uh, fresh powder snow, if you get it, you don't want to be wallowing in it. It's just going to get your feet wet and cold, and then you're going to be suffering. So wait for it to consolidate before you, you, you leave your nice, warm sleeping bag and nice tent. Um, you won't have to deal with post tolling. You won't have to deal with sun cups. You won't have to deal with creek crossings. Uh, you won't have to deal with bears. Bears wake up and go down to the garbage cans. You don't have to worry about the bears. Bears are only a problem in the major national parks, Kings Canyon, Sequoia, Yosemite, a little bit around Tahoe because there's way too many people in too small of a space and you're close to town in the garbage cans. So it's really not a problem for you guys. Don't sweat the bears. And the snow bridges will probably be quite intact for you. Uh, if you get more of a normal winter instead of a heavy winter, some of the creeks may have little open holes in them where you can look through the snow and you can see the four inches of water flowing in the creek because it's not, there's not much melt to, to make the water the two and three and four feet that it's going to get in a month after you guys are there. If there are these windows of openings in the, in the snow covering over the creeks, assume they're thin and you have to learn how to test your snow bridges before you actually put your weight on them. Okay, so that wraps up the pros and cons. Um, I can basically kick it back to, um, to Carol and uh, take it from there. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Ned, so much great info. Um, so we do have a lot of questions and um, I'm gonna, I guess, ask you first, Ned. There are a lot of questions about safety and solutions like, okay, ice axe versus whip it. What kind of shoes should I wear? You're covering that tomorrow, correct? Correct. That'll all be, those are your solutions for safety. That's tomorrow. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to, if we have time at the end, I will maybe bring those up, but I'm going to default to the ones that aren't necessarily what we're going to cover tomorrow. And for, for those of you who want to sign up or who have not signed up for the meeting tomorrow, I did leave a link to that in the chat tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific time, okay? So let's see, let me look at my long list. Um, okay, so somebody asked, uh, they're, they're planning to start in March. About what time do you think they'll get to Mount Whitney about? Once again, uh, let's look at six weeks to Kennedy Meadows South. From Kennedy Meadows, uh, on north, if there's a lot of snow and a heavy winter, it may take you, because you're going to be on snow, going, uh, let's see, snow lines after heavy winter around 9,500 feet in May. 
So you can you can get some miles below 9,500 feet, but once you hit that, you're going to be going slower. So I would say you're going to be doing maybe three days to Cottonwood, and from Cottonwood to Crabtree uh, is two days. So there you've got five days on top of uh, the six weeks it took you to. So call it seven weeks maybe to, to Whitney. Mm, okay, great. Uh, let's see. Is it as advisable to reach or start the Sierras by mid-April? I know you kind of went over that with avalanche, avalanche danger and that sort of thing. Um, do you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Once again, pros and cons of before May 1st entry? Uh, yes, so it is like mid-April. Mid-April, I mean, once again, you probably heard me say it and, and I'd love to be able to talk with you back and forth here, but um, Mid-April, mid you still have a pretty good chance of getting a one, two, three foot snowstorm. Uh, not good. You're not going to be able to move in it. You're going to be getting wet and cold very fast. You're, the side walls of your tent, unless you have a three, four season tent, they're going to compress in. The roof of the tent's going to collapse and push down. You're going to have serious issues. Then you can have condensation issues because you're trying to stay warm and maybe you're cooking because you're freezing to death and you got to heat up your core. So in any way, it'll <laughs> snowball on you. But um, you really don't want to be in there. I have, uh, in order to pull a sled down the length of the Sierra, I had to be in there in March and April and can attest to the fact that we got pinned down for as long as a week in some places, but I had to carry four weeks of food. You know, and I could do that on a seven foot sled. That wasn't a problem. I had a hundred and something pounds back there, but I was pulling it behind me. So I could, I had the ability to weather a storm. You're not going to be able to do that. We had people, PCT hikers in Ray Lakes, just on the other side of Glen Pass, early June one year, not too many years back, uh, have a two, three foot snowstorm hit them and it totally stranded them. And they had to find every way they could to climb back up Glen Pass and get the hell out of there over Kearsarge or else they thought they were going to freaking die. So I would not go in there in April. You, the frequency of snowstorms um, is too risky. I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Doesn't mean you can't. I'm just saying unless you're trained in risk identification ahead of you, most PC2 through, through hikers are not. You know, through ski patrol and search and rescue, I've had a lot of training in that. And I simply won't go in. If it looks risky up ahead, conditions aren't right, I'm not going. Yeah, you know, you got a life to live. And this, this trip of, of yours is, is a chance of a lifetime. Don't do something silly like jump the gun, unless it's a drought winter. If you're going in uh, after a drought winter, mid-April could be um, look like July 1st. So find out what you know if you haven't been paying attention from your start uh what kind of weather the seer has gotten uh find out somehow you know is it a normal winter is it a heavy winter is it a light winter you'll hear and, and that'll be the gauge you can enter earlier if it's a lighter winter mm -hmm. great okay this there's some overlap here with yeah. safety and solutions but um Winter gear, would you recommend wear, having winter gear for, um, they say the Bernardino Mountains, I'm guessing near like San Jacinto area, San Gregorio area, um, mid to late March, if you're hiking through mid to late March. If the water in your canteen can freeze overnight uh, and you're walking on snow in the San uh, Gorgonio, San Bernardino, San Jacintos, 
while you're on snow in that environment, it's a hostile environment. Um, I would bring, I would bring gloves. I would bring multiple sets of socks. I would bring waterproof shoes. I mean, this is all going to be what we're going to talk about tomorrow, but yeah, you're in March in high desert. High desert is freaking cold or can be. You never know what you're going to get. So you're a through hiker. You've got to be prepared for whatever God's going to throw at you. So to answer the question, yes. I carry, I carry my hiking crampons and my whippet from, from Compo. If I know that I'm going to be going up Desert Divide and Desert Divide has a foot of snow, it's frozen, it's steep, I got to traverse it. Yeah. Okay, great. So next question. Um, are there a lot of blowdowns in NorCal, Oregon in the early season of June? Do you happen to know that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Um, you're ahead of the trail crews. A lot of winters have very high winds uh, come with the storms. So you're going to have a fair number of blowdowns that you're going to be climbing over, going all the way down the hill and going around, or going all the way up the hill and going around. Um, it's just a fact of, of life as a through hiker. So if you're ahead of the trail crews, that's going to be something you're going to have to deal with. So to answer your question, I'd say yes. Um, Northern California, yeah. But the forests are a little different. Um, but yeah, NorCal, Oregon, you probably, I did not see my first trail crew until the end of August, yeah, the last week um, of my hike <laughs> in Northern Washington. So better get used to it. Mm -hmm. Those are always fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is a very specific question to the forester area. Um, so Junction Peak, versus Forrester. Are you familiar with Junction Peak? Is sure. that a good alternative to going over versus Forrester? Because it might be more gradual. The, the Junction Pass, the old Junction Pass is what is where the trail used to go uh, through that ridge line uh, way back when. And oh, then, and I'm sorry. It's I'm sorry. It's the saddle to the west of it. Patricia just messaged me. So the saddle to the west of Junction Peak, right, Patricia? Yeah, it's Yes. Okay. Okay. So what you've got is you got you've got Forrester's Notch, then you've got a rise, then you've got a, a saddle and another uh, uh, uphill to Junction um, to Junction Peak. So the trail went through that saddle a long time ago. Then they decided for whatever reason they they built the big switchbacks over Forrester and all that sort of stuff. It looks like a viable alternate. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily safer. Personally, I've been over it. Um, it's fairly steep on the north side. Uh, I'd say it's steeper on the north side than Forrester is on the north side. Um, I, the only time I would go over Junction now in May would be if uh, the storm was blowing and I couldn't see the trail and I knew that the storm would, the winds would blow me off the trail, I would probably feel a little bit safer on Junction but you're totally and completely exposed on either. So uh, I, I really wouldn't encourage junction. You'd have to have some pretty bad ice conditions on Forrester and after 40 years of cutting the trail up there in May and June, I, I've never really seen anything that, that uh, hiking crampons and, and ice axes or whippets uh, can't do just fine with good common sense. You gotta know what you're able to do and not do. And it doesn't start with the hiking crampons. It starts with the edge of your shoe. 
you got to realize those teeth on your crampons, microspikes especially, are running down near the middle of the shoe. But if I'm on a slope and I'm standing, God, turn my hand, I'm standing like, like on the slope, the edge of my shoe is the only thing making contact with a hard snow surface. The teeth may not even be touching. If your edge of your shoe is not hard and 90 degree kind of sharp, you've got nothing to bite in with. So what you've got to do is you've got to kick and scratch little platforms for each foot before you can step there. You've got to have some bite to the hill. So um, it'd have to be really bad surface conditions for me to even think junction, but you know what your best advantage is? Wait for some sun to come out, soften the surface a little bit. And if you still don't like Forrester, you can glissade down the backside of, of junction, but it is pretty steep. Uh, it might be too steep for you. You may get up there and go, hell no, and turn around. But um, if you're savvy with your glissade skills and your stopping skills, self-arrest, uh, be a, it's a viable route. Okay, great. Thank you. She says duly noted thank you. Awesome. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, okay, so this is kind of the last question that doesn't involve safety and solutions. So um, starting in March, okay, so let's say you're starting in March, right? You get packed snow going through the Sierra, but what about as you hike north? Does, does that snow eventually, you know, do you start post-holing eventually and that sort of thing? To a degree, and, and I'm sure you could answer this too, Carol. Um, once you, you, you want to get to Sonora Pass before the thaw starts. Um, after that, you're largely walking ridge lines in the uh, McCullumley uh, Wilderness and Desolation Wilderness and on up to Donner Summit. The ridges and the ridge lines aren't so much the problem. Uh, so you're pretty safe to about June 1st, first week of June, maybe even the 10th of June. And then when you hit Donner, you're gonna to start to, you're gonna do a fairly gradual descent down into Sierra City area. Uh, and you'll be traversing and wandering around Northern California at much lower elevations. The snow come June will be thawing. So it will be softening and there will be conditions between uh, the shade of trees and out in the open where the sun is hitting and softening the snow where you'll have post-holing conditions and some of it will be identifiable. You'll be able to see it in advance. You'll be able to recognize different textures of snow surface and some will say, oh God, I'm not standing there. And you're going to stay in the shade where the snow will be colder, longer and harder. And you're going to go, well, yeah, I know the trail goes across the meadow, but I I'm not going out there. It's like, I'm going to post hole all the way across that thing. So yes, to answer your question, you will have conditions where you will be post holing in Northern California, but you're going to be spending, hopefully, depending upon the winter, more, more time below snow line than above it, more time on dry trail than in the snow. Great. Okay, so Ned, I know we have a couple more minutes. I'm going to leave this up to you. Um, would you like to keep going through the questions that might overlap with tomorrow, or do you want to open up the floor maybe oh, for a couple more questions? Open up the floor. Let's open up the floor. So um, if anybody wants to ask a question themselves, click on your reaction bu button, just so we don't have everybody talking at once. Raise your hand, and then we'll pick a couple people. So does anybody want to actually ask Ned a question? without me being involved. <laughs> okay, go for it. 
Right. My question is, okay, so I've got a coach um, for doing the PCT. Um, I, I believe he was, his trail name was Beardo. Uh, anyway, he has advised April 25th to shoot for as close to that. And my question is um, the micro pros and cons, maybe one of each to that date. Yeah, so April 25th, Sierra entry? No, April 25th, starting from Campo. Uh, we got a that, that we got a whole nother class for that one for for April starts. Oh yeah, I probably signed up to this. Yeah, okay. I mean, oh. basically, Ben, um, you know, uh, we used to we used to conduct the uh, PCT kickoff the last weekend of April, and that became an ideal date. Everybody wanted to start then because uh, you weren't so early that you were cold and wet. Uh, and nor were you so late that you were cooking in the desert. Right. That's what he said. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's the rule of thumb. But it, you never know what you're going to get. So uh, if you start late, though, I can tell you one thing that you're not going to be getting. You're not going to be able to get to Sonora Pass uh, before the thaw starts. So then you're going to be dealing with the things that actually are killing people like the creek crossings and the things that frustrate the hell out of you, if not cut up your legs or maybe break an ankle as post tolling. You know, so if, the later you start, the faster you got to go to clear your obstacles. It's like a hurdle. Can I get through the Sierra? Can I get over that thing before it it reaches up and grabs me? And, you know, I have a hell of a time, you know. Right. So now I'm stretched between the fact that I'm a little bit overweight and I will go much slower and that I um, want to get there before, you know, I, I want to get to the end point at a reasonable date. I would say the key for you is to start, well, obviously start earlier and go slower. Once your body, after about um, four or five days, your body will start kind of acquiescing to the torture you're putting it through and will begin to get stronger. Uh, but you've got to start slow. Somebody like yourself, especially somebody like myself right now. I mean, I've had a desk job for god knows how long and so i'd have to do the same thing because it, the stresses on your body the joints the tendons the the, the, the ligaments etc you can't duplicate so i would say start earlier and try and get into the sierra earlier and by the time you get six weeks into this uh this little thing um you're going to be hiking machine and and wait weight is not going to be a, an issue oh i need this i need that i need that many more days of food big deal your body will get stronger and you're strong already. You got to get, you got to get past the numbers guys. Yeah. Thanks, Ned. Yeah. All right, Ali, go ahead. And I, I think you should be able to unmute yourself now. I'm sorry about that. No, that's okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, my question was a follow-up to Mount Whitney. So you had said like about June 1st, I was just cu curious, like what the conditions are like for summoning Mount Whitney around that time. And will I need like any special mountaineering skills? Um, a lot of through hikers, I don't know what you what you heard and what you didn't hear. A lot of through hikers go up Whitney uh, as they go by in June. Uh, you've, you're under thaw conditions. So you're gonna have post tolling in the afternoon. The keys are, uh, you've got to do anything you do on snow it has to happen before noon, you know, that kind of thing. So if you go up with, um, you're beginning, you're probably going to be stepping in other people's footprints. Uh, micro spikes may be sufficient. 
you could run into a fair amount of ice. Ice does not flatten out when you stand on it. So uh, micro spikes won't cut it. Uh, mountaineering training, no, but what you need to have is savvy with, with ang steep angled snow and some ice. You know, even crusty snow that doesn't compress when you jump up and down on her, when you kick and scratch into it, um, is going to be a danger to anybody without the right kind of shoes and, and hiking crampons. So if you call that mountaineering, you, again, you should have an idea of some of that stuff. And that's why I created Mountain Education to begin with, 40 whatever years ago. 40, yeah. Um, to give you the skills so that you can handle any of these conditions that may suddenly appear in front of you what you thought weren't gonna be, wasn't gonna be a problem, but suddenly is. So I would get a little bit of experience dealing with steep, hard, snow, slippery surfaces and self-arresting. Perfect, okay. Uh, like, let's see, uh, Evan, you're up. All right, so we've heard the pros and cons of the March start date. Honestly, I was like shooting for an April start date, but I ended up with March. Um, in this situation, I guess, would you, try to quote unquote book it uh, and try to get to Kennedy Meadows and get through the Sierras while there's still solid snowpack? Or would you still plan on what I was planning on early April, just like taking my sweet time and hitting it, I guess, quote unquote, just right um, as you head into Kennedy Meadows? See, what's right for me may not be what's right for you. You know, you've got to be able to assess your skill level and your knowledge level uh, for example, you may be a person who uh, you rather follow people who are blazing a trail on the snow rather than have the freedom, be the kind of person who you really like the freedom to choose your own routes because they're safer for you. You know, so just remember, if you the later you start, the more thaw conditions you're going to have. And unfortunately, and this is something I didn't mention in the bulk of the presentation, the, the northern washboard of Yosemite, Return Creek, Matterhorn Creek, Tilden Creek, some of those creeks north of Tuolumne Meadows, they are fed by miles and acres and acres and acres of high altitude snow filled bowls. And when those start melting, where you cross the creek, which is down lower in elevation, it's gonna be a roaring whitewater fest down there. You do not wanna be in Northern Yosemite during the thaw. So you do the math on your daily mileage and what you're capable of doing. And that's why I say, get over, get out of the park, get, get to Sonora, which is just North of the park uh, before the, the, the thermometer hits 33 at night. I don't know if I answered your question. I probably didn't, but um, it's really, it's really a, sort of a, a toss-up. Yeah, it's the, it's the give and take of like, do you hit it early or do you hit it like when most normal people say you should hit it? <laughs> and it's like, it's like a, a combination of the, you know, the, the end of the thaw where the post is like not so deep. Wait, you know, the just I'm right not. time frame seems like it's that and creek crossings are still passable, but okay. not outrageous by then, you know, so. Okay. You, you use a, a term, end of the thaw. When is the end of the thaw? 
if we have a heavy winter, there may not be an end of the thaw. It's, it, the snow stays there, hell, into October. If it's a normal winter, you may have snow on the passes, steep snow and, and snow melting into the creeks with high water crossings, hell, into, into August. If you have a drought winter, your thaw period may only be four to six weeks long. So maybe then you could say, okay, you know, thaw starts, it's been a drought winter, thaw starts early, it's gonna start maybe even April 1st, sure. Middle of May, it's going to look like the middle of June. Killer. So that's why you've got to watch how much snow is, is in the Sierra and uh, engage. Do I want to be there with the skills I've got? It changes by the winter. So when people say Ray Day, that's, that's the magic number. June 15th, that's when you want to enter the Sierra. This was a standard created by Jardine for a person and by a person who likes going fast. They just as soon enter the Sierra when there's more dry trail and less snow because they don't mind hauling ass all day long. So it, it's not my kind of thing, but it may be yours. So if it's your kind of thing, try and hope for that idealistic, more dry trail than snow, but realize you're gonna also have, if there's still a lot of snow at trail elevation, not just on the passes, but if it's down on the trail, you got a lot of snow, snow melting and filling those creeks, and you're going to have some creek crossing issues. Okay, great. Uh, Sebastian, hey, Sebastian, do you have a question for Ned? Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I have a, yeah, so I have a little question. Uh, do you know a little bit about the rules? Um, you know, I, I crossed the High Sierra in 2019. It was a, a huge snow year, like you know. Perhaps, there, suppose that a, a, a hiker, maybe me, I don't know, during a, a normal winter or a huge year like in 2019. Is it possible or, well, my question is, do you know the rules about the bear canister? Because it's useless, it's absolutely useless to carry a BV uh, 500 when there's 20 feet of snow, you know? Okay, uh, probably the best thing I could quote you right now is a conversation I had yesterday with one of the lead law enforcement search and rescue people for Sequoia Kings. And he informed me that his wilderness rangers go in June 1st. If they are in there, they will bang on the back of your pack to see if you have a uh, bear canister back there. Now, you may go, well, hell, Ned, you're crazy. I carry uh, a bear vault expedition because I'm going to be going in for 10 days at a time between, say, Kearsarge and Bishop and Bishop and Mono and Mono and Mammoth, that kind of thing, because I'm, I'm going one mile an hour and it's all snow, say, after a heavy winter. Uh, I can carry a big thing like that because I have a big pack. But for a lot of you guys, you've been geared toward lightweight, so you don't have that ability. But you're going once again into an environment that is completely different from anything you've seen before. So the rules, if I can put it that way, are different. You might want to increase the size of your pack so you can carry your canister because the, the rangers are going to be there June 1st on. And maybe go by that. Okay. All right, Sebastian. Thanks Sebastian. for the question. 
<laughs> okay, we'll take we'll take two more questions. So Anthony and Jackie. So Anthony, you're up. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, I just had some verifications. It sounds like uh, Ned. Basically, everything that you're teaching now is based off of your views of going slow, going safe so that you can get that nice walking ability and get that pack and so on and so forth. Uh, we're not talking miles. We're not talking fast. We're talking yeah. slow and enjoy that journey. Later, later, you will have, after you drop down off of Donner and you get out of the snow, you'll have rest your trip. You got three months right there where you're going to have more dry trail and you can, you can get going, you know? So you, just because you're only doing tens and twelves and fourteens in the Sierra doesn't mean you're not going to be, do, be able to do your 25s or whatever uh, later on, once you have more dry trail, but slow down for the snow and speed up later. Got it. And then uh, we, you know, our start dates are, you know, we don't have to go before then, obviously we don't have the past uh, start date, but you know, if, according to your, you know, hey, the weather is way worse and June 1st maybe or May 1st maybe too soon we could start a week later you know than what our pass says I'm assuming I don't know about that I don't know how uh, the PCTA or whoever um, you know administers that thing you know do you have to start on your start date can I wait a week whatever is that what you're asking yeah that's what I'm asking or verifying that you know hey March 5th is my start date. Hey, you know, I want to wait a week because it's just been slammed all summer or all winter. So I'll just start a little bit later. You know, you know, if I had a March 5th start date, my start date down there was March 14th. Um, and it's just the, the way we did it because I, I wanted to be able to get into Canada before September, mid-September. And so I just did my trip planning backwards and, that, and right. it ended up that way. Um, you know what? Um, Southern California in March can be pretty nice. So uh, right. just because you're starting on the 5th. I'm in San Diego, so yeah. Well, hell, you know. So so I would do it. I would start yeah. on the 5th. And then uh, the last one was, uh, um, if you you know, the training. You said you can't really prepare to train, but you can do something. And if you did do something, would you, would you pack with weight to prepare for Sierra? Or would you worry about distance or would you worry about trying to get uh, ascending or just a combination thereof? You That's know, by the time you get to Kennedy Meadows South, you're going to be a machine. By the time you get three weeks into this thing, you're going to be, your body's either going to tell you to get the hell out of, the, out of there, you know, it's just ain't going to work for me. Uh, and, and you're going to head home or whatever. Uh, or you're going to, you know, if you start slow, you're going to be able to get your body to adapt. Now, there are some things you can do to simulate, you know, some of the big step ups and the big step downs and the, and the things you're going to have to deal with on trails that you can't get riding a bike, swimming or jogging, you know, through the park. So you're going to have to incorporate a little more joint trauma, a little more uh, uh, big steps, both going up and down to get your body a little bit in advance prepared for this this thing you're not just walking flat stuff you're going to be banging around rocks and going up and down some steep stuff even on on, on a graded trail so uh I, you know back to your question uh, i would start the fifth and, and i would do like running stairs up and down do things where you're stepping up 
a lot. Step it up and, and banging down. You got to get a little trauma in there because that's what's going to affect the plantar fascia. It's going to affect tendons, uh, uh, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Okay. Jackie, you're up. Hi, thank you so much. Hey, Ned, we spoke last week. It's nice to see you face to face. Um, th three quick questions. One, um, do you have to treat snow melt water? I do. I, I will melt the snow and then I'll pump. I carry a pump. I don't, I don't do the, the gravity stuff. Um, and then we'll get into that tomorrow. Uh, but I do, yeah. Okay. Um, in this winter, I know there's still a lot of time before when we get on trail and whatnot, which resources do you specifically use to like monitor snowpack and the passes and everything so we kind of have an idea of where we're at? Yeah, that's probably the biggest question, you know, uh, or most frequently asked. Most of the trail sensors, most of the gauging stations, most of that stuff isn't necessarily right on the trail where you're going to be. Uh, mm -hmm. I would I would follow um, Department of Water Resources. The, the snow surveyor John Ditley goes in every month on skis and he measures the snowpack at trail elevation. And if you can follow him, great. Uh, follow what the department has to say. The word will get out whether you're having a, 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 a the win whether the Sierras is having a drought winter or a normal winter or or whatever. Um, I don't use a particular site. You Postolar, I hear, is a good one for that kind of information. Um, maybe Carol probably knows better than I do. I, I, watch, the, I watch the satellite feeds. I, I, I look at what's going on because I've lived in this, in this snow country for so long. If I see a certain low pressure system coming in, I got a pretty good idea what it's going to dump. And then I watch the temperatures thereafter. If it stays cold, I know that that's going to consolidate down to about half, and then it's going to stay there. And then the next dump is going to add to it, and, you know, that kind of thing. But remember, even if we get a drought winter, all it means is that when you hit the Sierra in, in uh, May, you're not going to have a snow line at 9,500. You're going to have a snow line at 11,2. See, it's going to be up higher because there's less snow. That's what's going to change. You're still going to have steep snow. It's just it's not going to be as deep, and it's going to start higher. Great. And my last question is a little bit more philosophical, but uh, it's if we have a big snow winter and you're having to do a lot of navigation over the snow, um, I know that the PCT gets a different variety of experienced hikers. If you're in a group with people, how would you navigate maybe handling like differing opinions in terms of where you should go as a group or what approach you should take? Oh, I love that question. Because in pretty much any group, you're gonna have the guy that says, you know, who was it in Beauty and the Beast? Who was that cocky guy in the in movie Beauty Gaston. and the Beast? Gaston. Gaston. <laughs> you're always gonna have a Gaston who thinks he's the cat's meow and he's perfect for, you know, all these conditions. And if you actually na nail him down on it, he's probably done a little bit of uh, ice whatever on flat, terrain as he practiced briefly in Minnesota again. I don't mean to be picking on Minnesota, but you know, uh, so there's always somebody who's the loudmouth, and he's, he's kind of like, everybody's deferring to him. You've got to be able to stand on your own. You've got to be able to have the paper maps that have a certain view and enough detail that you can look at it and read it 
and see where to go. You've got to have a bigger map so that if you do decide to bail out, if I go over this pass, is there going to be a road at the end or end of it? And where does that road go? You got to know where you're at. And now your GPS and some of that will work. But what if your battery dies? What if you drop your phone in the creek? It gets wet, you, you rescue it, but it, now it doesn't work. Your SOL. So I, I would say learn some of these skills. Uh, I, I may even try and teach everybody through Zoom presentations uh, now that I'm working from home and I've got a little more time and give you at least some nuggets to, to rely upon uh, so that you can decide, hey, is this Gaston got his, you know, head in the wrong place? Maybe if I sit down next to the trail for a couple hours, I'll, I'll join the next group back there. And maybe Gaston back there is a little bit more savvy than the guy I got right here. So learn these skills for yourself. And, and you've got to make the call, you know, otherwise you're leaning on somebody and you have no idea if he'll be able to identify the risk ahead and tell everybody, nope, stop right here. We got to get our crampons on. We got to get the ice act. You know, you, you've got to be able to see it for yourself because what happens is summit fever. If you know what I mean, it means, you know, wow, we're getting closer to hamburgers. We're getting closer to, to, to Kearsarge and getting out. Uh, I, all I want to do is push to get over Forrester and let's get the hell out of here and let's go party. Uh, th those people are making bad decisions. They're not, they're not taking the time and they're not willing to stop, think, observe, plan. The acronym stop, stop, think, observe, plan. You've got to be willing to stop. Drop your pack. Assess it more closely. Maybe have something to eat and drink. Maybe get another angle on the obstacle up ahead. Rather, the usual thing that through hikers do is, ah, no hell, it's no big deal, go. And then they find out when they're midst of it that they can't even stand up. It's too slippery. So figure you gotta you gotta be savvy. You gotta have your own stuff together. So do some study and hopefully I'll I'll, I'll maybe be able to give you some you know tips before you go. Great. Thank you. We'll take one more question and then we'll we'll sign off for the night. Is it Vivek? Yes. Hi. Hello, uh, go ahead. Thank you for all the information you gave, Ned. It has been very helpful. It's my passion. Uh, I had one question, like everything I've read online, everyone I've talked to, uh, they have mentioned like the physical problems you face while you're on the trail and like how it can be hard physically. Okay. Do you have any anything about the mental uh, thing you go through when you're going for like a, it seems fun, but it's a five, five month walk where you will get tired, it, you'll hurt. So do you have any tips for that? Oh God, it, the mental game, if you talk to a lot of through hikers, the mental game is the one that will get, send you home probably sooner. I mean, you, you figure the, the statistics are still true. Uh, we have a 25 to 30% completion rate, meaning obviously, you know, 75% are going home. They're not finishing this dream of theirs. Uh, the emotional challenges, uh, are, are, are and can be overwhelming. You will have days not only that are brutal and you're tired and you're freaking hungry and you're whatever, and you're just upstairs, you're, you're, you're just running around and around and around in, in a little mouse wheel, you know, and you're not getting anywhere and you're getting frustrated and you're thinking of family. Maybe you're getting lonely. Loneliness is a big deal. So the mental game, I'd have to say also the emotional game. Um, 
you know, uh, it, there's, there's no foul, no, no harm in stepping off trail briefly, get a little saturation of, of, of uh, you know, civilization and, and then jump back in. There's no harm in that. You know, maybe go home for a week. Oh, but that's going to be tough to, you know, all the, the trappings of home to go back out on the trail. But um, this is a very real thing. And a lot of people have a hard time with it. And they go home, Mount Laguna. They go home, uh, uh, Paradise Valley Cafe. They go home in Idlewild and San Jacinto. They go home in Palm Springs. They say, screw it. I'm going to take the tram and go down in Palm Springs and get on the first bus and go home. You know, they go home in, 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 in Big Bear, the biggest, the first big city, you know, or something. Uh, they, they go home from Kennedy Meadows and, do, and they think, oh, you know what? Screw the snow. I'm going to go around the snow. I'm going to go up to Sierra City and go north. And then they find out there's snow in the, up there in the trees and it's, it's got its own challenges. And then they get so discouraged because they thought they were finally out of the snow that they get mentally blocked and then they go home. So this stuff is very real. Uh, your best game is to go slow. Go slow, get your body so that it's in the game with you and not fighting you. And do your best emotionally and mentally. Know what's up ahead and get excited every day for what you're going to see. If you're so locked into the miles, that will overwhelm you and it's just going to be this mile thing. And you're constantly doing that rather than going, wow, you know what? There's this really cool lake up ahead. I think I'm going to take a break there. Uh, maybe I'll take a nap in the sun for lunch on this, this pass. Maybe I'm going to take a break and, and maybe climb some trees, uh, maybe do a photo essay in this meadow. So you've got to do some things that are fun because the walking can become grueling when you're pushing. And that'll help you a lot. Great. Thank you so much, Ned. We're going to sign off for tonight. Thank you guys so much for coming on tonight. We hope you learned so much. I know I do every time I listen to Ned. I wish I had this before I hiked the PCT. So um, hopefully you guys got a lot out of it and um, hope to see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, what do you think about that episode? It was packed with great information about starting in March. And this could also apply to other trails if you're hiking through snow and that sort of thing. So I hope you learned a lot. And if you'd like to get involved in our future meetups, you can head to our website. I have the link in the show notes for you guys to go straight to that page. But you can also go to our website at www.thru.com. That's www.thru-r.com and you can go up to the through meets section of the website and register for future meetups. We have the April start dates, pros and cons, safety and solutions, and then the same with our May start dates, as well as southbound starts along the Pacific Crest Trail. We would love to see you there and also at the hiker happy hour we have coming up. But if you can't make it on our community Zoom calls, you can also catch the audio on this podcast, of course. And we will also be uploading clips to our YouTube channel. So if you haven't subscribed already, you can click the link in the show notes to subscribe to get all the latest on what we upload to our YouTube channel. And in the show notes, I've included links to mountain education. If you um, think you got a lot of great information today, we're doing this all for free for hikers. But if you feel like you would like to donate to Ned's Endeavor Mountain Education, you can click the link in the show notes and um, donate to his efforts. 
And speaking of links, I've also put in links to some previous podcast episodes where Ned was a guest. Um, Same situation where we had Zoom meetups about specific topics around safety. Uh, And this is specifically along the Pacific Crest Trail in the Sierra section, or it could also be applied to the Cascades in Washington if you're doing a southbound hike. But um, we had some great meetups last year on river crossings. We had another one on snow navigation, and we also had one on steep snow travel. So if you're interested in these topics, which go very well with what we talked about today, feel free to click the links in the show notes for that. Thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned for the March start date safety and solutions coming up hopefully next week, depending on my editing schedule, (laughs) but I'll try to get that out as soon as possible and hope to see you guys at some of our upcoming Zoom meetups. Take care everyone and until next time, happy hiking.